you know, we're very happy today to have Pam Rodolph speak to us. It doesn't happen that often, but we're always so uh, enormously pleased when she does. Uh, Pam is a very down-to-earth individual, which is the source of her charm. But she also can be quite sublime. Here's something she wrote. God is pure, absolute intelligence, though does not think. God is all love, though not warm and fuzzy. God is natural law, and we pay for breaking it. But there is no judge and jury. God is all brilliance, all light. But there is nothing about God you can draw on a piece of paper. God shows up as the unexpected good in a person's life, what many call a miracle. God is an encounter, not a belief. And the next time you're blaming God for war or birth defects, God is the cause of good, not the absence of it. Well, when I asked him um, what she would want me to say introducing her, she had in mind no kind of lofty eloquence. Instead, she told me to simply say, Pam says she was born, she lived, she liked it, so she decided to stay. <laughs> and I think it was a couple of days ago, Pam, uh, Pam uh, gave me something else to share with you guys. She says, I was raised in a time and place that had little tolerance for different. And for anyone different, it was painful, confusing, and bleak. Huh. But lucky for me, that pain led me to the book, The Fourth Way, which led me to The Prosperous. The Prosperous was my first love and my last. I explored other schools after I got onto this path. But it seemed to me that the Prosperos was the school behind the school, just as its founder was considered the man behind many. In hindsight, the Bible Belt gave me a gift I might not have gotten anywhere else. That was in the early 1970s, at which time I became a member of the High Watch. I departed California after six years and performed roadrunner-type duties. Now, a roadrunner, uh, just so you know, is like a teacher that launches into the country teaching Prospero classes. I did that for a while. I went around to 19 different cities. Only lasted three years, but it was interesting. So, um, um, so Pam was a roadrunner, or she was performing roadrunner duties with Carol Carter for several years, where we operated out of Oklahoma. She's since returning to the Prosperous, I was granted the responsibility of mentorship. I make my home in Oklahoma, where I now reside with dogs, Grayson, Solomon, and Sawyer, horses, 
brush fire and spirit and chinchillas carson and jackson and now for us today pan wrote off thank you i can't hear that but thank you oh you um, didn't hear no no i heard you i couldn't oh. hear the clapping <laughs> oh. <laughs> um I named this talk good versus bad and but it's still about change what and I for those of you that haven't been to my other Sunday meetings I've been talking about uh, permanent changes in levels of consciousness what happens what it's like how you bring about those changes I'm going to be talking about how our relationship to good and bad change would change in being and what bearing this has on doing the right thing also about the use of logic to correct our misunderstandings about the nature of reality of good and bad. Now the speakers for these Sunday meetings, we all pick our topics and write them and deliver them. And I've been known to warn you, I've been known to present too many ideas together that should be talks in themselves. But here's the thing, <laughs> that is for a couple of reasons. Number one, I have five planets in Taurus with Capricorn rising. Yeah. I don't do surfaces. I only know how to dig. <laughs> Secondly, I have five planets in Taurus with Capricorn rising. But I'll try to keep it together. And Ben has kind of volunteered to take me in hand after this talk. <laughs> <laughs> but when my partner was alive she was heavy gemini she saw only surfaces and that's all she wanted to see so when we would clean house uh, I, uh, her duplex her living room in california had an easy chair and a tv that sat on the floor and that was it um when we would start to clean house she would go in the kitchen start throwing everything out and i'd be in the bedroom separating the threads in my sewing box <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully I'll leave you with something to think about the rest of the day. To start with, one of the human conditions or afflictions is duality, meaning opposing factors in conflict with each other. And one expression of that is to label those factors as good or bad. And all spiritual growth is towards the elimination of good, bad thinking. But it's hard to escape these judgments while still on the level where that thinking predominates, especially as most of the money in the world is earned through some sort of good, bad thinking. Batman versus Joker, Russia versus Ukraine, women versus Harvey Weinstein. The good, bad battle has fascinated probably fascinated us probably since we've been on this earth. It's made heroes out of cowards, cowards out of braggarts giving courage to the weak. The only problem is that battle has never taken place, not reality. Good doesn't battle bad. It just shows up and bad disappears. I'm not sure they've even met. And there's only one arena where this battle truly takes place or ever can take place within the individual heart. There and only there can cause be affected. All other solutions, whether sought in the outer world or inner, are temporary, if they work at all. All movies, all real wars, all games have never been between good and bad. 
In a war, that conflict was already fought and lost before the war ever started. It was decided the second a group of human beings believed in a pathologic state of good and bad. Spiritual methods clear the way so the perfect reality holding up our imperfect world can have more of a say-so in our lives. When we find the light switch and flip it, the shadows of bad disappear and it's shown to be nothing more than truth fumbling around in the dark. That reminds me of a um, definition of worry. Worry is said to be mind in the dark, trying to figure out what it did in the dark. In spite of their limitations though, I like the terms good and bad because they refer to generic categories instead of people. People are only bad for moments in their lives, but those moments don't define them. I've been involved in more bad than I can even remember. Mostly bad is defined by the Bible belt I was raised in. I so believed it that doing the right thing was just not possible for me. As long as I believed life was bent toward bad, I was impotent. When the basic belief you hold in the deepest part of your heart changes from bad to good, Nothing in your life will go unaffected by that monumental switch in bearing. It's like a tumbler finding its home, fitting perfectly in the slots made for it. It slides easily into right action. Hmm. I always thought principles were boring and my father old-fashioned for having them. But outside the Prosperos, he was the most honorable person I knew. His view of intelligence, though not complete, also mirrored translation. When asked what intelligence was, he replied, it's the ability to grasp principle and apply it to the relative. And translation is a technique we teach that applies absolute principle to the relative world of our experience to discover truth. Hmm. Now, I want to stop here and cl clarify a couple of points before delving further into good and bad. Uh, for those of you, and not most of you, everybody here are educated in spiritual matters, it's nothing new to you to hear that consciousness is all there is, and that our viewpoint in life depends greatly on what we've experienced in the past, and that this past is projected onto the present. Now, that sentence is a whole seminar. We project the bad we don't want to face in ourselves onto other people, and then we wage war out there. Some people regard everything we see in life as a projection of ourselves, and that's my point about this. That's not true. The less there becomes a view, the less there is to project. Clear vision and projection are not the same. To look at life through even just a casual attitude falls back into the category of projection. Discernment is the closest we can get to an objective view of the world out there. Discernment is the fair witness. Another pitfall is to believe we can understand any and everything with logic, including abstract ideas or abstract attributes. Regard the statement, infinite containment is available. This is one of several four-step conclusions of someone who was translating um, a flood. And for uh, you all still know, you, all of you know what translation is, but if you don't, it's a form of logical prayer. And in this case, logic 
hears the words and begins to try to understand infinite containment is available. And without realizing it fades into picturing sandbags being stacked to contain a river. But the concept to me of infinite sandbags is just silly. I can't use I can't use that in translations. To me, containment is infinite. Sandbags are not. Now, I'm not saying you might not get to the place where that statement makes sense to you, but I sure wouldn't start from there. We understand and operate in this dimension by inventing an imaginary convention, that of regarding what we see out there as things. Then we can move them around, add and subtract them, go to the moon. And we don't ordinarily consider those things good or bad, but only solutions. In this case, our, our ego serves us well. We think in terms of things all day long in order to function on this plane of existence. So when we want to understand something abstract, we often don't see how casually we fall into thing thinking. But there's a test to find out if your thinking, your logic has crossed over to a realm where it doesn't belong. This is the test. If it does not make sense to you, then something is screwy. I'm not asking, does it make sense according to what the Prospero teaches or any other school of thought? If it does not make sense to you who existed before you ever got onto a spiritual path, something is screwy. And more than likely, it's because you're using the wrong type of logic. Even in translation, your logic must make sense to you. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to somebody else or not. It has to make sense to you. We're not dealing with a meaningless formula of magic, some vapid abracadabra. The mind that is us must understand any logic we accept to be true. If not, and you still accept it, and we do that, you will get the feeling we're talking about miracle magic. There's nothing about any of this, about truth or the good that isn't logical. We are not teaching how to create a gap in logic filled in with magic. We are, however, teaching how to bring about a gap in our ill logic. One of the reasons our lives fall apart is we don't live it according to true logic. So the Prospero uses that very logic to reverse the damages. In mindlessly combining two realms of logic, I've caught myself trying to picture it as black space, but the abstract is not spatial. Where does logic or mathematics reside? Besides numbers that represent math, is it in itself ever visible? Does it have even one molecule? No matter how invisible or how minute something is, it is still something. The abstract is nothing. It doesn't have a single atom to its name. Now, you probably wonder why I'm harping on this so much, but I've seen a lot of it. Uh, I have a long-term friend who challenges just about anything I say with her brand of logic. She's highly intelligent. She's a graduate of Google University. So when I verse some realization I've had, and I think she waits for these, she attacks with her fistful of data. And I never noticed her subtle change in shifting logic. I just knew her points of logic were overwhelming and confusing to me. I don't challenge her about our logic because there's just too much pride holding it together, mm -hmm. but I do enjoy a release. 
And what I mean is this friend had brought me to doubt myself more than once. But then I paid close attention and realized she was the one confused. She was discussing the abstract as though it belonged to the material world. Once I saw that, I found a release from believing I was unable to understand logic that in truth wasn't logical. There's nothing wrong with your brain. Just by the fact that you found your way onto Zoom shows that your brain thinks just fine. Trust it. So if something doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. As for my friend, our discussion was being understood on her part only by intellect and without vision, without conscious connection to the source, to the good, intellect spills out in every direction. It has no true north, no secondary guidance system to keep it real. The acceptance of the most bizarre beliefs that we have seen in this era is only possible to the floating mind that has no anchor in being. People have no idea what truth is. And when you can't feel your heart, the heaviest anchor to reality that can be mustered is the weight of your own wishes, no matter how unreasonable. Wishes become the guidance system and insanity stems from the disconnection to being because to regard your own personal wishes as absolute truth is insane. I wanted to make that point in order to connect it all back <clears throat> to good and bad. To see bad in another person does not mean you are bad. It means you are whole. In other words, when you no longer see bad as a projection of your own heart, you are objective to it. When bad is a projection of you, that is reacting, not seeing, even if it's just an attitude. Only objectivity or discernment sees bad. With spiritual growth, more of the bad is visible, not less of it, because it's that more that completes the picture and releases you. The more brings objectivity and clear vision. Bad twists back towards the whole from where it came, causing it to lose its character of bad. I can illustrate this <clears throat> with a child who sees himself as the center of bad and not the parent perpetrating some trauma. But the day may come when the child grows out of a neurotic dependence on the parent and a need to sugarcoat everything the parent does. This allows a disassociation from the bad that actually belongs to the parent. When the child distinguishes that difference, the all-knowing, all-enveloping parent becomes just a person. Because for that moment, the child is whole and sees the parent objectively. Spiritual growth is always towards a more complete picture of life and everything in it. And right, or the ability to do the right thing, is not so confusing because you stand in a clear connection to the good. It shines out for you as a backdrop behind everything. As you grow, you may find it takes less effort to stay in contact with this good. Some people will sense this and feel threatened. We're supposed to stay in the cubby holes designed for us, which you can be sure serves the purpose of being dismissive. The ego then doesn't have to think about us because it has us categorized and, uh, in a way that takes away any kind of threat. It covers us in just enough bad to establish its superiority. But now it senses a change. Not only have you broken out of your box, but you're a better person than you were before. 
with however much people view you through their damages, they may react even severely to the change they sense in you. And consciously, the question for ego becomes, if you are a better person, then am I no longer superior? And for ego, that's an intolerable situation. As long as you stay the same, stumbling through a chaotic life, that dark and finished self hides in silence for them too. But even deeper than that, they are convinced in their hearts that reality is not a friend of mankind, that life is against us because the basic nature of man is bad. Your change in level and flow of the good is a direct threat to people's belief in that bad. That means to them that everything they have espoused is wrong, and they are what their father or mother or lover accuse them of being, selfish, a loser, a know-it-all, fatso, someone of inconsequence. At the same time, there'll be support from the most unexpected places. Other people who sense a change in you will want what you have. They are drawn to the good, and this may even be people who express violence in their lives. The human condition in itself has two major drives, to find who is the bad guy in any, in any situation and to make sure it isn't me. A lot of energy goes into jockeying these two drives, always ready to defend, tattletailing on others while avoiding getting caught yourself is seen as the logical way to get on in life. I'm not talking about crooks and thieves here. I'm talking about us normal people, us good householders. The thing that bad reacts to the most is not other bad, it's the good. It's, the, it's not the man in a knife fight with another man that inspires him to his maximum rage, but the person who radiates a sense of the good. It's not by accident that so many peacekeepers are assassinated. In this school, we promote open-mindedness. We even fall into the trap of viewing being closed-minded as bad. But the problem with trying to be open-ended all the time is it can create a leak, can bleed off passion and direction. You don't have to have the final answer to stand firm on what you know. Accept something better or more logical if and when it comes along. But don't be inviting just anything into your bedroom. Shut the door for now. If something better comes along, make it knock and give you the password. You don't have to leave the act of being open-minded open. There's nothing wrong with being certain about what you know. Don't be afraid of expressing it in a way that sounds absolute. Don't be afraid of being firm. I'm not promoting you claim your understanding to be the only under, true understanding, or for us to be unrelenting, stubborn, or resisting. But if you're promoting the best of your understanding, especially garnered through intuitive insight, don't water it down. Forget it could be, or may be, or is thinking about being. Don't try to make it powerful with words like sometimes or occasionally. State it and stand on it. This is how it is under these circumstances. Okay, consciousness divides itself into two camps besides good and bad, male and female. Everything in life have the qualities of either male or female. It shows itself in our democracy with two major parties one expressing values of the male aspect and the other the female, or Republicans, Democrats. This is why three major parties have never and will never work. 
So try as they might, third parties never truly take root or unduly influence elections because there is only positive and negative. If a third or independent political party gains enough ground to be in contention with the mainstays, it will be at the expense of one of those mainstays. It won't be a third major party. You can ask any political science major, they will all say the same. Democracy can work only with two major parties. That is also the division of spirituality and religion, inner and outer, with each side seeing themselves as the good and the other side as bad. The first espouses more feminine principles and the second male principles. The second camp, religion, grabs all the absolutes for itself. Jesus is the way, the only way. If you don't repent, you'll go to hell. The spiritual camp not only shies away from those kinds of absolutes, but goes overboard in assuring the gods that they are not trying to define reality for anyone. There's a joke about Republicans and Democrats that I think applies to spirituality and religion. And it said that Republicans take a gun to a gunfight and Democrats take quiche. (laughs) (laughs) But spirituality goes a step farther. It shows up quiche in hand with a man purse wearing loafers without socks. It expresses a fearless acceptance of its androgynous nature, which does not mean girly, but the ability to stand firm without all the manhood antics. Firmness is a male aspect. It's generic. It has no agenda. It doesn't punch people in the face. It doesn't gun down school children. It's the ability to stand firm in the truth. It's not by accident that men are the physical embodiment of of firm from physique to being his contribution to the sexual act. Firm and stubbornness or anything that leads to violence, however, are not the same. And that distinction seems to have been forgotten. But I believe the spiritual faction of mankind needs to be firm, stand on certainty, be more vocal. Trust in and connection to your higher self gives a confidence not associated with anything in your environment, so it has no enemy. I like to call it real. It translates words back to their original intention, where there are no half measures, where words are wholly, purely, and absolutely all they can be, where they are the best versions of themselves. Being firm, again, is not being stubborn. I think sometimes we feel guilty because we found the way and others didn't. We judge them incapable of understanding spiritual view, so we acquiesce to keep from appearing combative. But as they say, you don't need to be disagreeable to disagree. But don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, that's wrong. And if nothing else, don't agree with what you don't agree with. And of course, don't allow yourself to be driven into a reaction. Stay calm, centered. We need more people in the eye of the storm, standing firm in the good, in the at the same time centered. I'm not promoting a political viewpoint intentionally. For me, right and truth aren't political. In fact, I'm not promoting a particular right. I am promoting the intuition that would determine the particular right that fits for that moment. But most of all, I'm promoting our being a rock hard and unwavering beacon of the good and good can be firm. 
We can all be Atticus of To Kill a Mockingbird, wise, centered, unwavering to the good. You can be Gregory Peck or Jimmy Stewart or Doris Day. And for those of you who don't know, they were all symbols of good and wise, regardless of how anemic they came across. We are connected to a perfect thinking machine, but we seldom call on it for help. As spiritual growth is towards clarity, it becomes not so confusing to know what's right and what to do in any particular situation. You begin to fit into new categories, those bigger categories, character, honor. It will no longer feel like blasphemy to think of yourself in such terms as decent and fair. My greatest teachers in life outside the crossroads were people who had principles I couldn't influence. I think at some level, we all recognize the taste of reality behind what these people say and do. I responded to the unwavering authenticity I heard in these people because they stood firm and didn't let me believe they agreed with me when they didn't. They adjusted my values instead of the other way around. They didn't have to scream or throw books to express their stance. They were not judgmental. They simply stated what they perceived to be true and stood firm and unmoved. We can do that for people without trying to convince them of anything. Standing firm and unwavering in the truth of what you know is the right use of maleness. My first encounter with someone who stood their ground made me want the good for the first time in my life. It turned my life ever so slightly in a different direction. It gave me reason to begin to climb out of the trash. The Europeans laugh at us for one particular reason. Through centuries of living, they've developed as a people a certain amount of soul. They have developed an understanding about behavior which allows them to know how to behave without passing a hundred laws to cover it. We play whack-a-mole in the United States. Something happens, we pass a law. Something else happens, we pass another law. And on and on. However, keep in mind the United States is still in infancy compared to European countries. They've been at this a lot longer. But in the United States, we as a people are too stuck in our intellects without the guidance system of soul. That's all the laws. My point is your soul, your intuition, your spirit just knows what is appropriate. And it may not at all agree with a bunch of whack-a-mole laws or even logic. Ideally, every waking moment should be guided by intuition because in each moment something has changed, a change that has gone unnoticed by intellect. But intuition knows all the circumstances around your life at any given moment and what is needed particular to that moment. But if you don't hear from intuition, it is because it has nothing to say. There's a lot of nothing until action is necessary. Intuition doesn't fill up space and time with chatter. There's much more not doing than before. You're not busy determining your opinions, your judgments, who you like, who you don't like. You begin to lose the need to dress others in some kind of bag. That is the doing that begins to stop. As you grow, you might find that you don't censor yourself as much because you won't be standing entertaining the thoughts you don't want others to know. You won't be standing there going over your list of grievances. Now, they may be doing that, but you won't be. 
because you'll start to see people better than they see themselves. That said, sometimes when I'm cleaning house, uh, cleaning in the living room, I'll pass by the TV and it's off state and I'll just know what's playing. I'm not exactly sure how cosmic or useful it is to know that Laverne and Shirley are on TV in season one, episode 23. <laughs> but I guess intuition into its information, period, whether it seems to be important or not. And that's the thing. Intuition does not categorize as to good and bad, only to what is, what exists, what fits, what works. Mind shifts from someone as the bad arbitrarily assigned to them to, the, to their behavior as a product of confusion. From now on, mind becomes split in regards to beings instead of just one. When talking to people now or of people, two beings are seen, the one who looks out at the world and does, and the one known to you through knowingness, through contact with the good. There is now an awareness of the second self and all others um, because you have a deeper connection to the source. You will still get mad. Okay. You will still burst out in momentary I'm stupidity, probably, but the uh, loss of connection isn't permanent. Yes, I am. The rubber band snaps back. The point being, you will cease to regard someone as ego only. It almost seems impossible. Your fo focus shifts from the behavior that always made you silently call someone an asshole, now to include them as a human being also. When you add human being to your judgment, they instantly go from enemy to something much less threatening. The formula is judgment plus human being equals minus threat. Now, there still may be something wrong, but asshole is no longer the diagnosis. As the sting is taken out of your judgments and you cease to censor yourself as much, your intuition works better. Things will seem fresher, more real. There's more flow. No matter what presents itself to you, you'll, you'll handle it with a newfound grace. And I saw the following in a book or a magazine. I don't remember, but I wrote it down. It seems to fit here. The valley of the shadow of death is your destination. Dante's Inferno beckons to your now adventurous heart, and you go where you dare not go before. I happen to believe with Anonymous when they wrote, the way I see it, the only hope for humanity is to strangle and smother our ego babies, breed without ego seed, and wither away the ego already loosed upon the earth. I'm, I'm I'm about at the end of this. This was a lot longer, but I couldn't get into the computer that <laughs> the rest <laughs> of it. <laughs> so, so, but I'm going to end here. Um, I want to read um, a fanciful account of one boy's struggle to shed his belief in the bad. It's called Leaving Hell All Aboard. The boy wondered if there was a deeper hell than to want so badly not to be what he was. And he hears about this other existence and something drives him to pursue it until he just gets a glimpse of it. And now hell begins. Now he knows that other life is there, but he is still the same. And the world is the same shitty hellhole. 
know it's worse because now he knows there really is a rainbow and there really is a way to get over that rainbow. And no matter how often he fails, there is still hope because he convinces himself he just hasn't tried hard enough yet. He hasn't left it all out on the field. But then comes a day when he contemplates a future so unrelentingly gray, it spawns a sorrow so deep as to freeze the mind. His feelings numbed, his interest in the world around him was replaced by a dull, constant ache that kept his attention, and he wasn't real sure it was physical. He had maxed out all the distractions he had employed in his life to keep from experiencing this gray no-man's land of muted feelings and dulled images. They no longer threw out their welcome mats. Caught in the image of this gray world, he suddenly felt himself drowning in feelings of hopelessness, which he could now see was the worst thing a human being can feel. No way out, no future. This landscape of drip, dripping with slime and blighted color would be his hell for as long as he lived. And that realization finally sparked feeling. Terror, then rage, then miraculously willingness. Willingness to try again. He looked up and there it was, that field with its coppery patches of dead grass opening up before him. That field that still beckoned him to leave it all. There it is, run for it. But this time, run for it and keep running, minute by minute, day after day, run, jump, plunge, fall. His path began to bend upwards. He ran faster and then faster still. The path kept bending towards the heavens, making the climb ever steeper. The boy began to falter more than he managed the gravity that now weighed him down. Finally, he had nothing left. For months, he had worked heaven's formula and pursued freedom with a vengeance. He had finally left it all out on the field. And he didn't care that the goal wasn't reached. The upward bending path had turned vertical with no way to surmount it. He had come to the end of his journey. Nothing to do but try to absorb his disappointment and grief. But it was too staggering. He came to realize that nothing else mattered. Without the change he pursued, there was no meaning to anything. He couldn't find a single reason to keep going, not like this, not like he was. There was no recourse but to give up. He leaned against the wall, physically affected by this realization. Already exhausted, this was a gut punch that finished any hope he had. He slowly turned to go the way he came. So imagine his surprise when he heard a clunk and he turned just in time to see a ladder drop to the ground. He hesitantly climbed up. There was no one there. The ladder seemed to have dropped down automatically as though a system had long ago been put in place. He turned in the direction he assumed was home when he noticed how much brighter the world looked. Gone was that sameness of apathetic gray. There was contrast and rich color. He walked without longing, taking in the beauty of the green grass and deep blue sky that seemed to sparkle. As he walked, he thought about nothing, and his mind wallowed in that freedom. His step turned buoyant. He no longer cared about the person he hated being or the person he could become. He continued his journey with focus only on the step in front of him, for he had a ways to go and lots to do, and he burned with the desire to get started. That's the end of it. Um, that was excellent. Thank you all very much for coming.